If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What's up, guys? Glad to have you back listening in to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast here on Dog Sports Radio, a V-Sport O channel. I'm Tyler, and I'm actually flying solo on today's show as my regular co-host, Curtis. Well, he called in sick today. I tried to shame him into recording anyway, but he wasn't having any of it. He completely wussed out. Yes, he is that guy. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, he is down for the count today. And in fact, Curtis may or may not be dead by the end of the week. I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. But no worries, because I have you guys covered. And on today's show, I wanted to spend some time getting you guys all pumped up and frothing at the mouth over the future of our program, kind of like I am. So today what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you why I think we are about to execute a hostile takeover of the SEC East for the next several years. And guys, really, this isn't just me being a homer, vomiting, unsubstantiated absurdities all over the place. No, I I have some facts, some numbers, some realities, if you will, to help me make my case. And really, all of this is going to be based off of recruiting trends. I know it's been a few years since we have gotten it done on the field. I recognize that. And our new coaching staff still has to prove itself. Last year was a little bit of a rough go in year one, but I guess to some degree that was to be expected. Um, But in my very humble opinion, and it is a humble opinion, sustained success at the college level is far more about players than it is about anything else. Sure, I mean, of course we know coaching plays a role in it, but the most prominent role coaches play is the recruitment of players that go out and win games for you. So let's start by first illustrating that point, that college football is much more about the Jimmys and the Joes, the talent of the roster, than it is about anything else. I think the best way to look at how much the roster really matters is by looking at the first three years of the college football playoff and the four-year average recruiting rankings of the playoff participants in each of those first three years of the new playoff system. So let's start with the 2014 season. That was year one of the playoffs. I guess it was the 2014 season. I guess it was the two, the playoffs were played in 2015. In that season, the playoff participants were Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, and Oregon. Bama's four-year recruiting average coming into the 2014 season was number one. Surprise, right? Obviously no surprise there. FSU's four-year recruiting average for the inaugural college ball playoff was five. Again, probably not a surprise to you. Ohio State, their four-year recruiting average coming in 2014 was four. 
Yet again, no surprise. And then Oregon was a little bit of an outlier. Their four-year average coming into the playoffs in that first season was 16. So in the first college football playoff, no team in the dance was outside the top 16 in recruiting over the course of the four years leading up to that playoff. And the one team that was outside of the top five in recruiting over that four-year period of time, Oregon, they got there to the playoffs large on the back of Marcus Mariota, who was a generational talent quarterback for them. I mean, look at what happened to them post-Mariota. They face-planted. And now for the 2015 season, the second year of the playoffs, the playoff participants were Alabama, again, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Michigan State. For the 2015 playoffs, Bama's four-year recruiting average was, yet again, one. Clemson's four-year average was 14, which might be surprising to some of you guys. Uh, it was a little bit surprising to me to look at those numbers. Oklahoma was right behind Clemson at number 15 in their four-year recruiting average. And Michigan State was the clear outlier here with a four-year recruiting average of 29th nationally coming into the 2015 college football playoffs. Okay, so yes, look, Clemson and Oklahoma were both in the teens, but they both got there to the champion or to the playoffs at least based largely on elite quarterback play with the likes of Deshaun Watson and Baker Mayfield, which can often mask the deficiencies elsewhere on your team. When you have great, super elite quarterback play, like they had with Watson and Mayfield, you can have deficiencies elsewhere in your roster and make up for it in most games. And with Michigan State, yes, they made the playoff with a four-year recruiting average of 29. But they also got destroyed, and it was definitely it was definitively proven that they had no business being on the same field as the other teams. And the eventual national champion was Bama, with a four-year average of one in the recruiting. So again, talent wins, wins out there uh, in 2015. Now for the 2016 season, we all know uh, this past year, the playoff participants were Bama, three in a row, Ohio, uh, and Ohio State, Clemson, and then Washington. Yet again, Bama came in with a four-year recruiting average of, surprise, surprise, one. Ohio State was not far behind Alabama with a four-year recruiting average of four in the recruiting rankings. Clemson's four-year average set at number 13. Uh, and Washington, while like Michigan State in 2015, Washington was the clear outlier this past season with a four-year recruiting average of 28. But also like Michigan State, when Washington faced the much more talented Alabama roster, it was definitively proven that they had absolutely no business being on the same field as the other teams in the playoff. They got wiped out. So I, I guess, I guess, to, to be a contrarian, you could point at the Clemson-Ohio State game and say the that Clemson, with their four-year recruiting average of 13, wiped the floor with an Ohio State team that came with a four-year recruiting average of four. I could see you point to that. I would respond to that by saying that Clemson's significant advantage at quarterback which is the most important position on the field, made the difference in that game. Deshaun Watson is a generational talent for Clemson, and he just negated the overall talent edge that Ohio State had based on recruiting rings. And Ohio State was a much younger team. Their talent uh, was there. I do think they were still a more talented team overall than Clemson, but their talent was young uh, and still inexperienced, although they had been playing for most of the year. Clemson was a much more veteran team for the most part, and uh, that combination of Deshaun Watson, a more veteran roster that was still a very talented roster, uh, put them over the edge there against Ohio State. Uh, guys, look, I will concede that the talent edge isn't everything. There are certainly other factors that play into the outcome of a game, coaching, injuries, location of a game, leadership of your team. How good are you at key positions like quarterback? I mean, that's why upsets happen. That's why the favorites don't win every single game. But what having a more talented roster does for you is it puts you in a position to win more often than not and is by far the most important factor. Not the only factor, but it is the 
in my opinion, definite most important factor in determining the outcome of college football games. That's why Alabama, with what, five consecutive number one recruiting classes, has been in each of the first three college football playoffs, winning two of them and coming within one second of winning all three of them. There's no coincidence there. Yes, Nick Saban's a great coach. We all know that. He's established a winning culture. The the Bama way, is our Bama way thing? The process, of course. But do you really think that Nick Saban would have won a national championship in 2015 with our roster? Or had gotten within one second of a three-peat this season with the roster Kirby had to work with this year? Not a freaking chance. It's about players. Saban's greatest advantage, or really his greatest trait, is the ability to bring in those players. So hire elite recruiters to establish the process and go out and get those players that make him look like an all-time mastermind. So you may disagree with me, which is cool, but I will adamantly maintain that recruiting and the talent that a roster has is the most important factor behind sustained levels of success at the college level. doesn't mean that uh, a upset's not going to happen. A less talented team's not going to rise up and, and bite a more talented team every now and then. It happens. But if we're talking about sustained levels of success, it's about players. It's about the talent of your roster. So therefore, uh, with that in mind, I am of the opinion that our program is about to leave our SEC East rivals in the dust and that we are on the verge, like I said earlier, of, of, of exerting a, a stranglehold on the division, a hostile takeover of the division, as long as our recent recruiting efforts under Kirby and company continue. And right now, they're really showing no signs of slowing down. Uh, my argument is simple. Based on the players we are bringing into our program and the players our division rivals are bringing into their programs, the trajectory of our program relative to those rivals is simply far greater. It may not begin this year, as we are still trying to shed some of that dead weight that Mark Rift, uh, that Mark Rift, God bless him, love him. But there's some dead weight that he left in our roster that, that accumulated over his final few years on the job. We've got to shed that weight. But even though it might not happen in 2017, although it could, I do expect this hostile takeover of the, of the Eastern Division, the SEC, to start no later than 2018. And now that we have shed the weight of that catastrophically disastrous 2013 signing class and replaced them with our best recruiting class of the modern era, it may very well be this year that the run begins. I don't know if I'm ready to predict that definitively, but I certainly think there's a, there's a chance for that to be the case. Don't believe me? Need to see it to believe it? I get you, man. I totally get you if you're, if you're taking that approach. But just give me a chance. Give me a chance here for a few minutes to convert you with some numbers. Now, in the past two recruiting cycles, we are clearly, in my opinion, distancing ourselves from the competition in the SEC East, at least from a talent perspective. We haven't done it on the field yet, but from a talent perspective of the past two recruiting cycles, the 2016 cycle and this recently signed 2017 cycle, we are distancing ourselves from the competition in the East. There's just no doubt about it. Now, those teams, particularly Tennessee and Florida, they still do have some good players left over from the 2014-2015 recruiting classes that we're going to have to have to contend with. There's still some guys there. Uh, and we're still working to shut off the dead weight, like I said, from the 14 and 15 classes ourselves. So, But really, if you look past that, moving forward, our talent is going to be head and shoulders better than the rest of the division. Uh, so let's start with 2016. In 2016, we signed the number eight class in the nation, while Florida signed the number 12 class. Tennessee signed the number 14 class, and South Carolina signed the number 25 class. We're going to limit to those three teams just for time's sake. Those are, well, I guess I would consider our three uh, top rivals in the division and three uh, closest competitors in the division as well. 
But just saying we're a class ended up ranked number 8, number 12, number 14, number 25, that's just surface level talk. That's not really getting into the nitty-gritty details and really giving you all the insight you need in order to determine how much or if we are actually outpacing our rivals in terms of the talent on the roster. So let's dig deeper than just what number the class ended up ranked to really illustrate the degree to which we are pulling away from the rest of the pack in the SEC East. Now, over the past few recruiting cycles, we have signed a total of five five-star prospects. We've signed 28 four-star prospects and 15 three-star prospects. Over the same two recruiting cycles, Florida has signed zero five-stars, 24 stars, but also 28 three-stars, typically less talented players. Doesn't mean a three-star can't rise up and be a superstar at some point. That happens. But you have a much better chance to rise up and be a superstar as a five-star than you do as a three-star. Um, Tennessee has signed one five-star over the past year recruiting cycles, uh, Trey Smith this year, uh, out of uh, the state of Tennessee. They've signed 14 four-stars and 36 three-stars over the past two recruiting cycles. South Carolina, well, they have obviously signed zero five-stars. That's just not what they do. Uh, they've only signed 12 four-stars and 39 three-star prospects. To put that into some more perspective for you guys, we have signed almost five times as many five-star prospects over the past two recruiting cycles than the rest of the SEC East combined. Florida has had to settle for almost two times as many three-star prospects as we have. While Butch Jones, man, he's just leading a three-star army, and he signed more than two times as many three-star prospects as we have over the past two recruiting cycles. And let's look at this year alone. Let's isolate and look at just this year alone. We signed two five-stars, 18 four-stars, and six three-star prospects in the 2017 uh, recruiting cycle, while Tennessee signed a whopping 23 three-star prospects. 82% of Tennessee's 2017 class was composed of three-star prospects. 52% of Florida's 2017 class were three-star prospects, as well as, unsurprisingly, 76% of South Carolina's 2017 class. Us? Well... It's the inverse for us, as 77% of our 2017 class was made up of four- and five-star prospects. Starting to see the pattern here, guys? But let's dig even deeper than that when talking about the quality of prospects. The 247 composite rankings, which is what I'm using here going by these rankings, uh, because I find it to be the fairest way to look at the rankings since it yields an average of all the major recruiting services. Uh, Their composite rankings are based on a 100-point scale with 100 obviously being the highest possible grade for any one individual recruit. So our average recruiting ranking over the past two cycles for each individual prospect is a 91.7. Florida's average recruit ranking over that same time period, 88.8. Tennessee, 88.2. South Carolina, 86.6. Yet further evidence lending credence to the notion that our trajectory as a program is set to far outpace that of our division foes. Still not convinced? Okay, I get you. But how about these numbers? For this most recent recruiting cycle, we signed seven composite top 100 prospects. The rest of the SEC Eastern Division combined only signed four top 100 composite prospects. We almost doubled up the entire rest of the division when it comes to top 100 players. Guys, that's staring us right in the face. You can take it even you can take it out even further than that, and the story is still the same. Let's look at top 250 composite players. Over the past two recruiting cycles, we have signed a combined 30 top 250 prospects, while Florida has signed 20. 
Tennessee signed 14, and South Carolina has signed seven top 250 prospects over the past two cycles. Guys, we've signed nine more top 250 prospects over the past two cycles than Tennessee and South Carolina have combined. I'm not making this stuff up, guys. They're just facts. Now, I do feel it's important to say that this recruiting success does not guarantee us anything. Not a thing. This talent still has to translate to the field and get the job between the white lines here in Athens. And that's where coaching, leadership, work ethic, and all those other factors do come into play. The real fact of the matter is this, guys. like We've recruited fairly well uh, for a while now, but we've just not gotten it done on the field of late. But the recruiting that we have seen over the last two cycles has been elevated to an entirely new level, particularly relative to our most immediate rivals, which hasn't always been the case. I mean, Florida's typically recruited at a very high level, but we are outpacing them at this point. Tennessee traditionally, historically, has recruited at a high level, but over the past few cycles, we're outpacing them. So I guess ultimately, in my view, it is essentially indisputable to say that in terms of our roster, which I believe, as I said, to be the most critical component of championship caliber teams, we've begun to not just outpace our division rivals, but to rather dramatically outpace them over the course of the past two recruiting classes. And if we can string together, let's say, at least two more classes of a similar nature, which as it stands right now, we look poised to do, uh, especially if you look at the early trends for both the 2018 and 2019 classes. If we continue to kind of wash the program with some of the dead weight, we will have a roster that is completely stacked from top to bottom with the type of players it takes to win championships. That doesn't mean we're going undefeated every year, but it means that we will have the talent advantage in most every game we play in, which will create a situation where we basically have to do something wrong on the field, play poorly, something like that, or the other team just has to play out of their freaking minds to beat us. Guys, the the gap is growing. It's growing, and it's only a matter of time before it manifests itself on the field, and we are back to winning championships. Book it. So, there you have it, guys. Thank you for listening to me blab away to you guys today. It's always weird for me to do these shows solo. Uh, I'd much rather have someone to talk to and bounce ideas off of, but I definitely did not want to leave you guys hanging. I wanted to give you guys some content to listen to uh, as your week progresses. We always appreciate your support, guys. I really do hope you enjoyed the show today. My man Curtis should be back and ready to go for our next show. That is, if he doesn't die. Um, but we'll see. He, The fact is, he actually needs to decide to grow up here. Um, but as always, guys, we appreciate the support. Check back with us later this week. Go dogs! <laughs>